Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. Of course, it's Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N. The number is 855-4-G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. And ladies and gentlemen, week one of the NFL is here. That's right. We're going to talk about the big-time Thursday night matchup, Bucks and Cowboys, and a lot of intrigue there. Besides just the idea that we have a game, we have a game we can bet on, we have some props, this is chock-full of daily fantasy guys, which means that it's chock-full of prop opportunities. We are going to get real deep into this game. We're also going to go over all of Week 1. We'll do a quick review of Week 1 games. I'll give you some angles, some news, some notes, and we'll give you basically the leaning direction I have if there are some spots that I do like. And week one is always a treacherous, dangerous week, but we're going to be able to find some stuff out. We also are going to talk a little bit about college football in week two. Look, last week, Clemson's already 0-1. Alabama looks great. We'll get into all the teams that you have to start to pay attention to now even if it's not exactly the most obvious. And we'll see if we can find some betting numbers and some things that we like there. So let's get it started. Go right into the NFL week one. And we're talking about the Thursday night game first. First of all, let's talk and give you a little context, right? So we've had one champion, okay, that had odds as basically as much as we're looking at for both the champion and the team that lost last year. And we're talking about Tampa Bay is leading the ticket count. And if they're not, it's Kansas City. Most people expect these two teams, at least one of the two teams, to repeat. But we see that time after time after time, right? We often see that kind of coming about. And you're starting to talk and you're saying, okay, going back to 2010, only one champ carried odds of a 20 to one or more. That is usually the norm. You have a team like the Giants, a team like Baltimore. They were about 14 to one the next year. You're looking at Tampa Bay being about six to one. You're looking at Kansas City being right in that realm, five to one, six to one odds. So where we know this sport is so hard to repeat, we know how difficult it is to repeat, we're also sitting here watching the public say, yeah, you know what? Different kind of sport. And maybe it is. Tampa Bay is bringing back 22 starters. 22 starters. That means everyone, every single player that was on that Super Bowl championship team, every starter is coming back. And you can actually argue that they're getting a little bit better because Brady knows the system now. The rest of the players know that system now. Brady was injured. That was revealed that, oh, man, you know, he was injured during the year. Their offensive line is getting a little bit better. Speaking of offensive lines, all the key players seem to be back there in Kansas City with the one caveat being, hey, they have a better offensive line. And that's kind of the reason they lost the Super Bowl from a lot of people's perspective. I, I watched a lot of tape, and I took Tampa Bay to win the Super Bowl. I got prop plays on sack overs and individual guys. Look, I thought that they were going to have a big-time struggle with that front line, and that's exactly what happened. Well, they changed over that front line. So the two big favorites from last year remain the two big favorites going into this year. Well, what does it seem like? Well, you know, usually... These teams, they do well the next year, right? I mean, they usually do pretty well. You look at of the the public over the last uh, you know decade or so, the runner-up teams, only three of them become the second heavily bet team the year after. All three had 12 wins, but none of them won the Super Bowl. So that is going to tell you that, okay, we are expecting Kansas City to play well. Kansas City, if we're going by the design of history, Kansas City should win 12 games or more, win their division, maybe win the AFC, but not take home a Lombardi trophy. That's something really interesting, right? As a matter of fact, uh, all but two teams over the last 10 became the top choices to go back to the AFC. You look at about 70% of the time, the Super Bowl champion comes back and does really well. So these are things to keep in mind when we're talking about, okay, you know, Kansas City 
is back in a familiar spot the last three years. This is the spot they've been at Tampa Bay, a new spot, but the public is still on the last thing that they saw. And the last thing both of you know your public eyes have what witnessed was Tampa Bay lifting the trophy, Patrick Mahomes still dominating. Okay, even though he didn't win it, still dominating. So you look at the possible fall off and whatnot. Look, I don't expect Kansas City to fall off, and it's usually, we'll call it the bridesmaid, the team that goes down, it's usually the bridesmaid that has a difficult start. It has, you know, maybe that bad, tough back-to-back year. You look at the teams that have had that in recent memory. San Francisco didn't make it back. The Rams haven't made it back, right? You look at that. But Kansas City hasn't missed the playoffs since 2014, Okay, they have absolutely dominated this division. They've gone 31 and five against the AFC West since 2015. Guys, Kansas City has a stranglehold and they have the best player in the sport on their team. I don't expect Kansas City to fall off the map. With that being said, we didn't expect San Francisco to fall off, but injuries did that. Okay, so there is the caveat of injuries, and it's the same thing with Tampa. You know, you look at Tampa and you look at what this team might be heading into the season and what this team potentially could be. And you go 22 starters are coming back. Tom Brady, the greatest football player of all time, is leading the charge. This is a better team than what we watched win the Super Bowl. And we knew that. But there is the idea, and we already heard about it. Tom Brady was throwing his helmet in camp and whatnot. There is the idea that, look, you just don't have the same motivation. You know, it's just a human element that you don't have the same motivation. I watched Derek Jeter's Hall of Fame speech this week, right? And Derek Jeter's Hall of Fame speech this week was the epitome of just a winner, somebody that was was obsessed, obsessed with winning. And he surrounded himself with people that wanted to win around him. And that's who he was. Tom Brady's the same kind of guy. But you're expecting everyone to be like that. That's not reality. A lot of guys get their ring. All right, I don't want to say you get fat and happy, but you know that it does happen. At least the motivation not exactly there. Also, the bullseye comes on your back. You could argue, I won't, but you could argue that Green Bay might be a little bit better this year. You could argue, and I think uh, that that I have, that the Rams are better this year. Seattle may be better this year. San Francisco's back healthy better this year. Arizona might take that next step up. Dallas should be better just because Zach is on the field. Washington should have a better quarterback situation, thus maybe making them a little bit better. The Bears might have something with Fields. Minnesota might be a tad better. I mean, you look at the teams in the NFC, maybe they're ready for the push. So when you're looking at the the week one itself, you know, don't get caught up overly into what happened last year. Week one is treacherous. It's a dangerous landscape to navigate through. That's why you guys listen to me. All right, let's talk about Thursday night's game. Big week one, Tampa Bay against Dallas. Now, this line opened up, and it was an opening line early on. It was about six and a half. I I thought it was a little short. I thought it should have gone up to seven, and it went to seven rather quickly, and then jumped to seven and a half. And it remained steady for weeks at seven and a half collectively across the country. And seven and a half was the number. It was the number we were looking at, and seven and a half was it. It was out there. And then you started to see a little bit of action coming in on the Tampa Bay side. And Tampa Bay started getting some action. Now, Dallas had a small pullback. There was a point, again, only about two weeks ago that you could have gotten Dallas at seven. But then the Tampa Bay money came in. And I told you guys this a couple of weeks ago. You knew Tampa Bay money was going to come in. It's the defending Super Bowl champions. They're at home. It's Tom Brady. You knew that was going to happen. So this line ticked up from seven and a half, and it was staying at about seven and a half. Maybe it was touching on an eight. Now, the Zach Martin news, I would love to believe that sports bettors are smart enough to know that that should impact this, but it didn't. This line is moving, and it's moving all the way up to eight and a half where it sits uh, right now. It's moving to eight and a half because of Tampa. And, you know, you look at this Tampa Bay team and you look at the roster and you start to break it down and you start to look at exactly head-to-head who Tampa Bay is. Guys, it's nearly impossible to bet against them. Now, I'm not saying that you should be on them because I do believe an eight and a half point favorite week one is always just a lot. Look, any anything over... Six and a half points is a lot of points. It's week one. You're also getting Dak Prescott back. I know Dak's been a little bit banged up, but he is a good 
you know, good fit right now. He's good to go. You got if he's out there, you got to assume he's good to go. The Zeke news, the hard knocks, all of that is there. And this offense should be explosive. The problem is they are going head-to-head against a very good defense. Levante David and Devin White. You guys know the names. Very good defense. The one thing that you can exploit, if you can exploit anything, is the secondary. You know, you're not going to run on this Tampa Bay team. So, Ezekiel Elliott is going to look, and this is speaking into prop plays as well, Ezekiel Elliott's going to look attractive for some guys going, you know what? Look, they're going to want to force feed Zeke. It decks uh, a little bit banged up. They want to protect him. It makes sense. The problem is I don't think Zeke's going to get any running room. Okay? And, and for the same respect, I'm staying away from all prop plays on that. I think they're going to shut down Zeke, and they're going to dare Dak to throw the ball. Now, that is a two-way sword as well. Because, look, you de- you're daring Dak to throw the ball. The last time we saw Dak, he was throwing it all over the field, and he was setting records. Okay? Record pace of offense. Those offenses were pathetic, though. Those were the Atlanta Falcons of the world who fired their defensive coordinator and and that like. This is the defending Super Bowl champs. This is the defending Super Bowl champion defense that he has to go up against. The last time we saw this defense, it was shutting down Patrick Mahomes, and that's exactly what they did. Now, you can sit back and tell me that Dallas does have a better offensive line than the Chiefs had last year by far. But the loss of Zach Martin does put a little crimp into that, doesn't it? I think Dallas's offensive line, even without Zach Martin, is better than the offensive line we saw in the Super Bowl. I don't think many people are going to argue that. But how much better are they? How much more protection-wise can they give Dak? And that's really what we're looking at here, is everyone's going to be focused on Dak Prescott and what he's going to be. I'm going to come out here and say right now, look, I have no worries about Dak. I know he's a little bit banged up. I'm not worried about Dak in this game at all. Do I think he you know, goes crazy and absolutely explodes? I'm not touching any of the prop plays, so no, I don't. But I think he's got the ability to. You know, when you have receivers on the field like C.D. Lamb and Cooper and even Gallup and, and Blake Jarwin, you have a, a progression tree. And even in, throw, in, throw Zeke into there, right? You have a progression tree that will make you successful. It's what will you take, Dak? Will you take that five-yard out as opposed to the 20-yard bomb? I think Dak is going to have a fine game, but a fine game doesn't mean I'm going over the prop numbers, which are set pretty exceedingly high here. When you're looking at the total, it's set at 51.5 or 52, depending on where you're shopping. And you're looking at a 52 number. That means they expect some scoring. They expect Dallas to do some scoring, and I think they will. And I think most of their success is going to come because of Dak. I'm not overly worried about Dak and what his performance will be. If I'm betting on Dallas or I'm betting on the over, what I'm concerned about and my worry here is does Dak have time? You know, it's one thing to be a little bit banged up and say, I don't really care. I'm going to get out there. I'm, you know, I'm going to be fine. And you can play out there and you can throw it around and you can be fine if you have time. There's a whole nother world and a whole nother worldly mentality when you're sitting back and you're going, okay, these guys are in my face. Yo, Devin White's in the backfield. He's living back here. Devin White's in my face. Uh, Levante David's in my face. You know, these guys are on top of me. Well, maybe you short arm it just a little. Maybe your confidence gets you know, a little bit shaken just, just enough. So it does worry me a little bit about Dallas. What really worries me about Dallas, though, if you really want to break this down, is their defense. While everyone's talking about Dak, and look, he's the storyline. He's on Hard Knocks, of course. Ezekiel Elliott, uh, again, the storyline. Everyone's going to be playing him in fantasy. What about C.D. Lamb? I'm hearing people saying, you know, he's going to break every Dallas Cowboy record, and you you got Gallup, and Amari Cooper said he's the best wide receiver in the league, and he's going to prove it this year. That's all great talking points. Can anybody name three defensive players on Dallas? I mean, that's the problem. Micah Parsons is a nice little addition, but their problem wasn't middle linebacker. Their problem was they don't have a secondary and they can't get any pressure at all. So you have a problem getting pressure and your secondary is a weak spot. You know what? Micah Parsons could be great. I, I, oh, that's, that's great. Well, Lee was great in the middle for years, right? Van Der Esch is fine. The middle of Dallas's defense is not my worry point. My worry point is that you get a quarterback that can just sit in the pocket, read a book, hang out, drink some tea, and then go and find the open receiver downfield when you have good receivers. Oh, by the way, that brings us to Tampa. And this is why I've already jumped on the over two and a half touchdowns 
thrown by Tom Brady because you're getting a plus 150 back there, bam, I'm on that prop play. Okay, I think Antonio Brown, the over-under for him to catch only four and a half receiving uh, receptions, I'm all over that. Uh, you look at Godwin, over five receptions, I think he can get eight or nine. So if you get the alternate spread plus there. Gronk, over one and a half receptions, I think he gets two catches. Look at the numbers. I'm not even mentioning Mike Evans, who most people believe is the number one receiver. His numbers on the prop plates are a little inflated. That's why I didn't mention him. But you're talking about a slew of guys to be able to throw to for Tom Brady. And Tom Brady is most dangerous when he's got time. Look at through Tom Brady's career. And it's an obvious thing. I mean, every quarterback is like that. But look at throughout Tom Brady's career. When have he struggled in his career? His highlight moments. Well, when the Giants put pressure on him and JPP or uh, Michael Strahan was in the backfield and, and JPP is in the backfield. And this, it's when you put pressure on him. That's when he struggles. Well, Dallas can't put pressure on him. And the secondary, it just they just don't have the weapons here to attempt to stop this passing game. So when you see a 51.5 or a 52 number and you see the 8.5, the first reaction as a sports better is, all right, under and the underdog, okay? But hold up. We know that Tampa Bay is going into a situation with 13-3 and three the last 16 opening days for the Super Bowl champion. They, they're probably going to win the game. I don't think many people are even going to argue they're not going to win the game. It's just a lot of points. That's all you keep hearing. And the over-under, normally you go under early in the season. Well, with Brady coming back and his statement that last year he didn't have as good of a season because he didn't understand the offense early on. He wasn't in sync there. Um, Tom Brady was injured last year. The offensive line wasn't great. Listen, I think Brady's already setting it up to prove a point. And right now you go, what else does Brady have to prove? He's got all the championships. He's come over away from Belichick. He's got a championship. Well, guys, how about an MVP into your mid-40s? How about that? How about the fact that even in a year where he goes out there and wins the Super Bowl, everyone's talking about Aaron Rodgers because he gave him the MVP. How about maybe he wants to do some stat petting late in his career? And it wouldn't shock me at all if that was the case this season with Tom Brady and beginning on opening night. You have all eyes on you. Tom Brady, here you go. Center stage, big stage, everyone's looking at you, and you get to carve apart a pathetic defense, and that's what Dallas' defense was last year. So that's what I have to go on. They didn't make groundbreaking changes to make me all of a sudden say, wow, Dallas is going to be better. They got a new defensive coordinator, but he still has generally the same personnel out there with the exception of Micah Parsons. Parsons could be very good, but I don't know if he's going to be exactly the guy that they need right there because they never had a problem in the middle. I see this to be a Tom Brady-a-thon on Thursday. Now, that doesn't, again, mean I'm taking Tampa Bay to cover the 8.5 because I think 8.5 is a large number. And I do think the 52, 52.5, by the way, watch the weather report there. I think 52, 52.5, that starts to become a almost an unbettable number. And that leads me to my point. I like prop plays. I like Brady to throw over 2.5 touchdown passes. I like the reception guys that I talked to you about. I don't know if I have a play on this game, and that's okay. Week one, when you're sitting back, game one doesn't have to be bet. Now, I know a lot of you guys are out there. You're action junkies, and you're going to go, you know what? I got to have something on this game. I got to have something. Okay, that's where these prop play plays come in, right? Find a prop. Go with that. It's almost the same situation I talked to you about the Super Bowl. If this game was played on a Sunday afternoon, put this on the regular card on the Sunday afternoon, would you be betting on it? Would you make this part of your ticket on a Sunday afternoon as opposed to a Thursday night? And do the same thing with Monday night games. Do the same thing with Sunday night games. If this game was on a Sunday afternoon and on a regular ticket in the middle of the afternoon this week, is it on your card? If the answer is no, then don't go near it. Don't be an action guy. Don't be a guy that just has to have something on the game. Just enjoy the game. Football is back. You don't want to bury yourself in a bankroll and, and you hear, oh, I want to build my bankroll. Yeah, well, you could go the other way too. You don't want to take a ding out of your bankroll when your main action, your main games, the games you like are on Sunday. So I'll have some stuff on a prop play and I'm leaning a direction or two here, you know, with this game. But I think it's a very hefty line. I think it's a very hefty total. And I think that the bookmakers have had months, months to get this right. 
and they probably are going to be right on the number. So be very cautious here. All right, let's take a quick time out. Come on back. Lots more wagering week right after this. Do you like easy money? Thanks to my bookie and their lock of the season. If either team scores in the NFL season opener, you win. A game hasn't ended 0-0 since World War II. This is a sure bet. Head to mybookie.ag, select the lock of the season, and any team scores between the Dallas Cowboys and Tampa Bay Bucks, you win. The best bet is one you can't lose. MyBookie is also playing host to several exclusive contests, including their $100,000 Super Contest, and it only costs $10 to enter. There's big money on the line this season, so don't wait to get in the game. Join now. Head to mybookie.ag today and use our promo code WAGERWEEK and instantly receive double your first deposit. That's double your funds to double your winnings. Again, that's promo code WAGERWEEK to receive double your first deposit and get started with MyBookie today. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, I got the odds for the highest scoring team in week one. You could get Tampa Bay plus 850. San Francisco's also plus 850 against the Lowly Lions. Kansas City's 10 to 1, Green Bay's 10 to 1, and Baltimore is 10 to 1. And that is what are the odds? Uh, pretty interesting. You get have a little fun with it. I'm telling you, with all these apps and all these sports books competing against each other, it is quite unreal to just see what types of bets are going to be out there. Um, you know, I often answer questions and people uh, write in uh, Sports Garden over at uh, Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere I see people in the in the streets and uh, the sports books, and they go, "Tom, you know, uh, is this allowed?" And my answer for years used to be like, oh, come on, man, that, that's crazy. You can't parlay division winners. And so now you go, oh, actually, <laughs> we we live in a different world. And actually, yes, yes, as a matter of fact, you uh, you can do all that. So it is pretty interesting. Uh, highest scoring team in week one. Ah, that, that's, that, that's, that's a good one. All right, let's talk about it. Let's go through week one. We're going to blast through this, stopping when time is needed to dig deep, okay? So we're, we're, we'll go through this, but I want to stop and have a conversation where uh, the big game. So we're not going to go in any kind of order here. We're going to start out with the Browns and the Chiefs because I do think that this is probably the premier game of the weekend. And we were just talking about the Chiefs leading up into this. And you're talking about the Browns. The Browns are getting a lot of tickets coming in on the Super Bowl. The Chiefs are obviously still the Chiefs. The line is about six and a half. It went down to six, uh, where it originally was bouncing and it looked like it might actually get to seven. You could find a five and a half out there this week at DraftKings. I saw that. So you look at these two teams, and I gave you the dominance of the Kansas City Chiefs in their division. 31-5 and five in their division is nothing to, to shake a stick at, man. That is massive, okay? And you look at when these two teams last met each other, right? 2020 AFC Divisional Playoffs. Chiefs had a 19-3 halftime lead, but they lost Patrick Mahomes to a concussion. Now, they held on to win the game by three, but don't just look at that result. Remember... Mahomes was out, and that's when the Browns felt like they could change their entire philosophy and start just pounding the ball and running and running and running because they didn't have to keep up with the scoring Chiefs, okay? You look at the Browns, and sure, they lost that game. They did cover the eight-point spread, and you try to find things if they weren't wearing a Browns uniform to, to dislike, right? If they weren't wearing a Browns uniform, what do they have? They have an experienced quarterback. You might not like him. He's experienced. He's solid. Okay. A great running game. The best offensive line in the game. A coach that you could argue is one of the best coaches in the league right now. Defense. Defensive player that might win Defensive Player of the Year award. They increased their defensive secondary uh, by getting Johnson, who's a good player. Look, I like everything Cleveland does, but Cleveland has the stipulation they still are Cleveland. And this isn't to knock Cleveland. This is to say teams have to show me they can win before teams start to win and before I start to bet on them this is a tough game to go against the Chiefs at home Arrowhead you know that that place is going to be rocking and there has to be a little bit on Mahomes here going you know what you guys knocked me out last year it's the only reason you came close 
So there's something there. I will give you this. The loser of the Super Bowl has only covered four times in the last 21 Week 1 games. Something to pay attention to. Niners-Lions. I'm talking to you guys in survivor pools here because everyone seems to be jumping on the Niners. Uh, the line went from 7.5. It's all the way up to 9 in some spots. I wouldn't be surprised if by Sunday this gets to almost double digits because there's no money coming in on the Lions. Lions have a new quarterback. They have a lack of talent on offense, a clear lack of talent on defense, a new head coach that even Lions fans don't seem to believe in, and then you look at the Niners, and the Niners are the team that everyone's flashy about now, and oh, here we go. It's going to be Jimmy G, but Kittle's back healthy. Debo's back healthy. Ayuk's back healthy. See, Mostert is healthy. Trey Sermon's going to be out there. Uh, Nick Bosa on the other side is going to be healthy. The 49ers are a team that is a fancy pick for all the right reasons. And the 49ers should do really well in this spot. Dan Campbell returning to coaching. I mean, look, that's almost a positive for San Francisco. Jared Goff knows this defense, though. And if you look at San Francisco, as talented as they are, and I I love their defense with Bosa and Fred Warner and whatnot, they did lose some pieces from two years ago Super Bowl team. And they're also a run-first team. I hate to lay big money. And I'm talking about big numbers. And this is a big number. I hate to lay that with a run-first defensive-oriented team. In a survivor pool, sure, I'm not going anywhere, uh, you know, talking you down from this ledge. But I will tell you that it does worry me laying nearly 10 points in a spot like this on the road. That's a worry. Bengals, Vikings. I think this is going to be a good game. And it's not only going to be a good game, it's a it's a test of what these teams are. Because you look at both of these games, and look, the Vikings are three-point road favored, total sitting here at 48. I do expect some scoring to be done. Now you look at these two teams, and the Vikings are going to just really hand it off to Dalvin Cook and just run, run, run. Now, Kirk Cousins had a really good end of the year. Jefferson had a good season. Thielen's always there. Their offense looks like it could be potent this year. Their defense is remade with Zimmer. They got a couple of pieces back. All right, maybe the Vikings are a competitor. Maybe the Vikings can push Green Bay. That's the conversation that I'm hearing. Yet they're only a three-point favorite against the Bengals. Is it because it's the Bengals? No, it's because do you really believe in the Vikings? The Vikings defense looked bad last year. And I don't know how many people actually believe Kirk Cousins was as good as his last, what, six, seven games showed them to be. I don't know if anybody believes that Jefferson doesn't take a small step back. So there are reasons to go against this. And then you look at the Bengals. The Bengals can be dangerous. I worry, though. I worried about the Bengals when they didn't take Penny Sewell in the draft. Then they took Jamar Chase. The guy can't catch a cold, okay? I think Joe Burrow is going to still be nursing that leg. I've heard reports out of Cincinnati when people were getting close to him in camp. He was a a little bit gun-shy. He's got a weak offensive line in front of him, one of those offensive lines that already injured him, okay? That's in front of him. Now he's got to come back in this spot, and he's got to come back to a weak offensive line again going up against Minnesota, who you know you're going to have to kind of keep pace and score with. Oh, by the way, Cincinnati's defense is nothing good either. So I lean Minnesota here, but I do have my worries because when you're playing a talent as good as Joe Burrow, and Joe Burrow is that elite talent, sometimes that talent just bleeds through. And if that talent itself just bleeds through, Burrow could take this game over by himself. Speaking of taking a game over, Jaguars are about now. By the way, this is some interesting movement because – Jacksonville was a two-point favorite to open up. It went up to three. Now I'm seeing it at three and a half. I wonder if it get, continues to rise. But the Jaguars on the road in division against the Houston Texans. We know that there's not going to be a Deshaun Watson sighting here. I mean, they'll probably show him 42 times on the sideline, but they're not going to be a Deshaun Watson sighting, okay? This is all Tyrod Taylor. But Tyrod Taylor's a pretty good uh, quarterback. Look, remember, he actually won the job last year over Justin Herbert. Dumb decision by Anthony Lynn, but he did win the job over Justin Herbert. Urban Meyer, first-time head coach. As much as I like Trevor Lawrence, first time being out there as a quarterback. David Culley, first-time head coach for Houston. I think that this Houston defense might be the worst in the league. Their offense, they have some talent. Cooks is talented. Lindsey is talented. And Ingram still has some talent. And Tyrod Taylor could be okay. But you can't really count on them. The problem here is this, is that the... Houston Texans own this series, okay? They've won the last six in this spot. 
but it's a different Houston team, and I understand that. It's a different Jacksonville team. I want to unload on this game. I got Trevor Lawrence in my MVP discussion. I think Jacksonville wins over six games this year, and you would assume that I would be all over this game. I'm not all over it, only because it's in division, it's on the road, first-year head coach, first-year quarterback. I'm not sure how they react to the big stage. I think that you have to go Jacksonville or nothing, but it's a worry. And it's the same thing here with the Chargers in Washington, where the line is now about zero, okay? The Chargers were minus one. Washington was minus one. Now it's a, it's about pick them. Over-unders, 44 and a half. Brandon Staley, new head coach going across country, but the, the travel doesn't matter in week one. And now you look at Justin Herbert, and everybody loves Justin Herbert and Eckler. Well, Eckler's coming off of an injury. Justin Herbert is now learning his third offense in three years. Brandon Staley is a rookie head coach. This is all... Charger fueled, right? You look at a guy like Derwin James coming back and, oh, okay, ready to go, Joey Bosa. They have a lot to like in Los Angeles, a lot to like in LA. But I worry about a game like this because what you're doing is you're going on the road. So I don't care if it's week one or not, you're still going on the road, traveling across country in a bad time clock for your body clock, right? You're a rookie head coach taking on Ron Rivera. That's that already, you're up against it. Fitzpatrick against Justin Herbert. Fitzpatrick in a new spot. I like Antonio Gibson. I like Terry McLaren. I like Samuel. I know he's banged up. I like Samuel. I like Logan Thomas. But I love this Washington defense. This is a Washington defense that has stars on top of stars on top of stars, and it's led by Chase Young, the star of stars. Okay? I don't expect Washington to move the ball freely here. I think that the Chargers defense is good enough uh, to kind of put it down. But I think people are not giving enough credit to this Washington defense. It's something to pay attention to. Seahawks, Colts, we're having conversations. It looks like Carson Wentz is going to play. Seahawks is still, they're, they're still a slight favorite on the road. It's hard not to get excited about Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and the, the names there, Lockett and Carson. And it's the same team seemingly. Now, the Seahawks did lose some players that nobody really talked about. KJ Wright is playing for the Raiders, okay? He was a big part of the middle of this team and the middle of this defense, and the defense is the problem. The defense was a problem last year. And Jamal Adams is great, and Bobby Wagner's a Hall of Famer, sure. But the defense was a problem. They could not get after them. Now, the Colts have the second-best offensive line when they're completely healthy. And Quentin Nelson is a guy that would just be able to give Carson Wentz all day back there. If you're doing Wilson against Wentz, you're handicapping this game the wrong way, okay? That's a problem. The Colts are in a position where they want to run the ball with Taylor. They want to run the ball with Mack. They want to do little dink and dunk plays to Naeem Hines and let Carson Wentz kind of be a game manager back there. He can be that game manager if you can't get pressure on him. And that's that's something to really pay attention to. But Seattle, look, they do have that early season success. It's fun to rag on Russell Wilson and go, ah, you know what, MVP the first eight games every year. And that is the truth. But guess what? They do do that early in the year. The Colts are also 1-10 in the last 11 season openers. They've lost seven in a row. Something to pay attention to. How about revenge game? Revenge game for Sam Donald. Revenge game for Robbie Anderson. You guys almost ruined our career, you New York Jets. Okay, well, everybody loves the Panthers, and I am a big fan of this Panthers defense. It's five-point spread for a reason. They're at home, 45-and-a-half. Jeremy Chin is absolutely fantastic. I'm a big-time fan of him. I really like Rule. I think he's the right man for the job. McCaffrey's going to get involved early and often, but there's just something here that tells me that the Jets might play close. It, I Look, Early on, when the when I heard that the, the line was announced and it was Jets-Panthers and, and the line was like three, three and a half, and I was like, oh, man, I'm all over the Panthers, all over them. And the more I kept thinking about it, the more I kept going, you know, Zach Wilson's a little dangerous. And I have to give credit. I know he's a brand-new coach, but I have to give credit to the, the entire coaching staff of the Jets because I like them. And I know that they don't have exactly the talent to compete here. And I, I don't even know if they win the game but I think it can be a closer game than people anticipate. I expect Donald to have a big game, Robbie Anderson to have a big game, McCaffrey to have a big game. But I'm looking at the rest of the team and I'm going, I can see Zach Wilson having a big game. I can absolutely see the Jets having some success here. Let's go to Cardinals, Titans. 
Cardinals, Titans, I expect a, a, a shootout here, and so do they. Look, the over-under is up to 53. The Titans are about two-and-a-half-point home favorite, chalk favorite, oh, home field advantage. There you go. You get the Cardinals. You get the Titans. Both of them had run defense issues last year. Both of them just had defense issues last year. The Titans, well, yeah, sure, they went out. They got Julio Jones, but they finished 24th overall in defense. I don't think it changes. And now Kyler Murray comes in with Kingsbury, Hopkins, A.J. Green. Yeah, he's got some new names to play with as well. So I do think that he's going to be throwing the ball. I think that they're going to have some success there. You look at a guy like Julio, and Julio's healthy for this game. And that's something you can't really say overly uh, across the career of Julio Jones. Healthy Julio, A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry's going to be leaned on. I think that this is going to be basically whoever has the ball last. And it's two teams that I think most people have going to the playoffs Two teams that I think people understand, hey, you know what? They're both making a good push to do big things this year. And two teams I circled in the offseason, and I said, I don't like either one of their defenses, man. Both of their defenses are just lackluster for me. How about Steelers, Bills? Bills last year, they beat the Steelers, and the Steelers were coming off of that great early season run. They won 26-15. to Josh Allen is going to struggle a little bit here just because the Steelers' defense is still really good, okay? And you look at Diggs, he's going to be okay over the course of the year. He might struggle a little bit with Minka Fitzpatrick on him. And you you wonder how much the Bills are allowed to struggle a little with a seven-point spread here. Because I think the Bills win the game, okay? Um, but I am higher on the Steelers than most people are. I look at what the Steelers are and who they're going to be with Najee Harris and the three receivers of Juju and Deontay Smith and Claypool and then ben, Big Ben coming back off an offseason. He's not banged up. He's not injured. Allen will will them to a win. But I don't know if the Bills can still run the ball yet. I don't know if the Bills can get consistent pressure, which they're going to need to do. And I can see a very similar kind of game to last year. They won 26-15 after they pulled away late. I can see this being a three-point game or so, so I'm a little leery laying the points with the Bills. By the way, DJ Watt is a guy that must be on the field for them. We have to look at this player as one of the greatest players that is playing right now. And the Steelers dragging their feet, not paying him. It's just a weird situation what they just went through. All right. Eagles, Falcons, talk about changeover. Julio Jones is gone from the Falcons. The Eagles have a new quarterback. They have a new, uh, basically, philosophy there. Falcons are three and a half point favorites in Atlanta. Total sitting here at 48. Nick Sirianni's calling the plays. The Eagles come in. They have a new offensive coordinator. They have a new offensive mindset. Jalen Hurts is their new offensive guy, right? Arthur Smith is calling the plays now. The Falcons, who also brings a little offense, and he's going offense. My, this is offense, 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 except... Matt Ryan lost Julio Jones. Now, Ridley's still there, and Kyle Pitzel is going to be okay. Uh, their running game is now on the shoulders of Mike Davis. I don't know how I feel about that, right? Then you look at the Eagles, and you go, all right, they got some weapons, and Hurts is the guy. Well, Hurts' completion numbers are not exactly good. He likes to run around a lot. His big weapons on offense are two tight ends. This is one of those games where, you, from a standpoint of a sports better, I was all over the over. Right, 48 was jumped off the page at me, and I stopped. I said, wait a minute. This is, the over is what Sirianni and Arthur Smith want to do. That's what they want to do. I don't know if they have the guys to execute it, so I, I laid off that a little bit. Let's go to do some of the late games here. Packers, Saints, this should have been a much better game, and all of a sudden, there's no Michael Thomas, which is a worry, and then the, the soap opera of Green Bay, and I wonder how that's going to happen. What, what's that going to impact? And you look at this, and you say, all right, now New Orleans it isn't even in New Orleans, so that the crowd isn't even going to be there. They're going to be playing this game in Jacksonville. Well, why'd they take Jacksonville? Well, there's a couple of reasons when you, you know, move and you go, okay, well, why'd you take Jacksonville? Oh, it's going to also be that muggy, gross weather like it is in New Orleans where you can't really breathe, and that's your bother, Aaron Rodgers. You also think about, well, Aaron Rodgers just doesn't do well <laughs> in Florida. He actually just doesn't. He's just not a good Florida quarterback uh, over the course of his career. The Saints, though, 
Last 19 week one games, they're 3-16 and 16 against the spread. They don't cover the spread. And they are banged up. Look, Winston, you can tell him he's got the LASIK surgery all you want. He doesn't have the weapons out there. I'm not a believer in Callaway. I think that losing Latavius Murray and the way that they got rid of him, you know, asking him for an extension, and then and then he didn't get him, and they thought they were going to have him backs against the wall, and then they cut him. It was a bad situation. It's a weird spot. I'm sitting here and I'm going, yeah, the Saints were a three-point underdog. Now they're a four-and-a-half or a five-point underdog, and I get it. I am not a big Green Bay fan, and it still is a road game for Green Bay. It's still a different situation for Green Bay. But if you are looking at this game just basically strictly on, okay, it's Green Bay or nothing, you know, look, it is Green Bay or nothing here. You cannot take the Saints in this spot. Broncos, Giants, Broncos are about a two-point favorite, two-and-a-half-point favorite. The Broncos, look, this is all about Teddy Bridgewater, but I like Bridgewater. Now, I like Bridgewater as an underdog because he's the greatest underdog quarterback of all time, but you look at Teddy Bridgewater and he's got weapons, right? Noah Fant has a weapon. I like Williams. I like Melvin Gordon running behind him. The offensive line is pretty good, and I really like his receivers. Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, I like that. And you know their defense is going to be pretty solid. What about the Giants on the offensive side of the ball? Well, here's the problem. Kenny Galladay's been banged up all offseason, that's an issue, right? Joe Judge has told us that Saquon Barkley is going to play, but Barkley also has three games in the next 14 days. He's also a guy that they basically have told us, look, they're not going to run him out there and make sure that he gets the, the allotted carries that he needs, and I think they need that to beat this team. I know that Denver has their problems. I know that the Giants have the ability to put together some big plays. I just don't love it, and I believe in Daniel Jones about as much as I believed in Teddy Bridgewater, except I'll take Teddy Bridgewater in this spot. I think both of them are barely hanging on to their jobs. How about Dolphins Patriots? Well, this is a good one because it's got a lot of history that we can go off of. But what kind of history? Because there's no Brady now, right? And Tua Tungalai Viola is going to be the quarterback. And I think he's going to have a bounce back year here. The Alabama quarterback from a couple of years ago faces the Alabama quarterback from last year. Mac Jones wins a starting job with the Patriots. Brian Flores absolutely knows the Patriots system and Bill Belichick. So I like what we have here. The spread is sitting here. It's about two and a half or three favor of the Patriots, 43 and a half. And that makes sense. Look, these teams have alternated wins and losses each of the last seven meetings. Okay. The Patriots, though, they've won 11 to 12 in New England. Both games last year were tight defensive battles. Both games last year ended at 34. So it's something to pay attention to. I think Miami's defense is better than New England, but I think it's close, okay? Tua is right now better than Mac Jones, but it's pretty close. Belichick is better than Flores, but it's close. I mean, I'm looking at this, and I'm speaking right now, not for a career. I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, you know what? This is kind of whoever doesn't make that big mistake kind of game. Who doesn't make that mistake? That's what we're looking at. All right. Let's go to the Sunday night game. Bears, Rams, Rams, seven and a half point favorite. And that's rising. You could get eights out there. Over-unders, 45. Surprising line when you consider that the Rams are at home. The Rams are the team everybody loves. The Rams got Stafford. People are picking the Rams to win the Super Bowl. And the Bears, oh, they're starting Andy Dalton. How terrible for them. You know, I don't look at it as clear-cut as that. And it looks like the sports books didn't either. You still have Allen Robinson there. You still have Montgomery there. You still have weapons for the Chicago Bears, Mack and, uh, you know, Williams. And you look at Ed, what the Bears can do. Here's the problem. The Bears, in a cost-cutting effective move, because they have terrible front office management, actually had to go get rid of their best cornerback in Fuller. And their secondary was a little bit lacking oh, over the course of the last two years or so. The Bears' secondary got worse in the offseason. I don't believe that Andy Dalton could do anything special, all right? I, this is not about Andy Dalton, though, because even if Fields was in here, I think the Rams win. But to lay 7.5 to a defense like this is a dangerous spot. Roquan Smith's one of the best defensive middle linebackers in the game. He's still got Mack. He's still got a lot of talent on this defense. I think the Rams win. They probably cover the spread, but this is a tough one. It could be very close. And I'm going to say the same thing about the Monday night game, but the Ravens are about four and a half point favorite, five point favorite over the Raiders. The Ravens are the better team. The Ravens have the better quarterback. The Ravens have the better head coach. The Ravens have the more talent. Yes, they do. But the Ravens also are littered with injuries. The Ravens are an injured team and they're an injured team actually to sit back and they're an injured team going to a place where it's finally 
you have fans. And I think Las Vegas is going to be going absolutely crazy. Derek Carr is vastly underrated. Darren Waller is vastly underrated. Here's my concern, though, because I, I was saying, you know what? I'll st I still like the Ravens a little bit, but the Raiders started to make a little bit of sense. Everybody loves the Raiders. I'm looking at ticket counts into the 70% coming in on the Raiders. That's going to be even more come Monday night. All the people in Vegas, that's going to be an interesting situation when we're talking about Monday. But of course, that's into the future. So let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet, bet to, to the, the future. future. Bet to the future. Well, following Cam Newton's release, Mac Jones is now... One of the favorites to an NL Rookie of the Year. Let's talk about bet to the future. Mac Jones, plus 300, as is Trevor Lawrence for Rookie of the Year. Zach Wilson comes in at 5-1. to one. Justin Fields, 7-1. to one. And Trey Lance is 8-1. to one. That is bet to the future. Ah, look, the odds, they are a shifting, right? I love following the, the Rookie of the Year odds. By the way, anybody that wants to know, I will tell you, I am already all invested into Trevor Lawrence. I got him at 4-1 to one odds, and I love it. I love him to win Rookie of the Year. I, I think that Fields, I don't know when he's going to start, but he's probably going to it's probably going to take three, four weeks for him to start. I don't see Trey Lance starting before week six or seven. Uh, Mac Jones... Could be that guy. I get it. But to me, Lawrence's numbers are just going to be much better. All right. Let's take a look at the college game, right? We are going on to week two in college football. Coastal Carolina against Kansas. You guys know how, how I feel about Coastal Carolina. I'm shocked that the line is only 26 here. Um, I think Coastal Carolina humiliates Kansas. I know Kansas got already got their one win. Oh, here we go. It's a different team. Doesn't matter. Coastal Carolina should roll all over. They're at home, national TV. This is the time in Conway, South Carolina, to take the nation's attention. I told you I didn't think Coastal Carolina was going to lose a game this year. I think Coastal Carolina is that good. We talked about returning starters. We talked about returning starters to the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Super Bowl team. Well, how about from a college level? Because Coastal Carolina is returning their entire team and they should absolutely squash kansas here let's go to the big games on saturday and it will go through the top 25 here arizona state against unlv the unlv is bad okay unlv is awful i had them at one win on the year and last week i sat back and i told you guys i thought that they would lose to eastern washington i gave my members eastern washington eastern washington wound up winning the game outright and here's another spot i don't understand why the line's only 33 for arizona state and i know it's a big number but arizona state's at home playing a pathetic unlv team only laying 33 to me this has got the makings of you know 48 to, to 7 written all over it so i think we're getting more than a touchdown benefit there i kind of like arizona state in this spot i don't think unlv is going to be competitive at all all this season let's just say at all usc at stanford usc looks lovis looks good right 256 yards efficient day 24 36 i wasn't blown away with him i wasn't blown away with what he did and i get it that you know he's going up against a solid defense but it was still a mountain west defense now they're laying 17 to stanford stanford i told you was going to have a bad year this year i told you that stanford was going to have that one of those bad seasons this year i think we're finally getting usc at that cushion point of the season which means People still not sure how good they are. People still not sure how bad Stanford is. The line's 17. You look at this line, you go, okay, oh, it's a little inflated. It's USC is Stanford. No, no, no. Different Stanford team this year, different USC team. Utah, BYU, Utah's seven-point favorite. Um, you look at what BYU can do, and it, at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, they're always dangerous. This matchup is a just a fierce competitive matchup. It can go either way. But you have to be real with yourself and say Utah is the better team. Okay, but they are the better team. It is a road game. It's an in-state rival. These are the spots where you go, okay, that's something to pay attention to. What gets me is that Charlie Brewer was supposed to be really good a couple of years ago, and now Charlie Brewer's in that Utah system. He's He didn't look great in week one, but they got the win, and all of a sudden, you're going to start to see him grow and start to learn this offense. I think Charlie Brewer's a name that we are absolutely going to know in about three or four weeks. North Carolina... They didn't come out and look anything special. And now they're 27-point favorites over Georgia State. Look, Sam Howell is a guy everyone shoved down my throat for Heisman. And I thought he was a very good player. But you know what? Didn't look good in week one. To me, his Heisman Trophy bid is over. That's it. His campaign is done. He went 17-32, to 208 yards and one touchdown. You're not getting it done that way. But these are the type of games where, you know, he could 
pad those stats, get himself back into the conversation. He could get back there. North Carolina has to destroy this Georgia State team. The one thing about Georgia State, though, is they run. They run the ball effectively, keep guys off the field. I don't love laying 27 in this spot. Ole Miss, Austin P. Uh, Ole Miss, look, you know, Matt Corral was fantastic. Uh, 381 yards in, the, in game one. I see another huge game here, and all of a sudden, you want to talk Heisman? People are going to start talking about him getting into the conversation, Ole Miss getting into the top 20. All of a sudden, you're going to start to hear the momentum start to shift in the conversation to start going into that direction. You look at Miami. Here's an interesting line from a handicapper standpoint because Miami's a nine-point favorite over Appalachian State. Miami's in Miami Gardens at the Hard Rock Stadium. Okay, we look at what Miami was, and they get destroyed by Alabama. And you mentioned that, and everyone goes, oh, yeah, but it's Alabama. Well, that's fine, but they are still 0-1. Appalachian State is still a dangerous team. I think everyone's just expecting Miami to walk onto the field and absolutely right all the wrongs that happened last week. It doesn't always happen like that, guys. Sometimes there's that Alabama hangover or that hangover from a dominant team who goes out there and spanks you, and that's what might happen to Miami here. Appalachian State is a well-run team. They could run the ball. They could pass the ball. They play good defense. They are well-coached. App State getting nine points is a spot where I think everyone's jumping on Miami. And according to the numbers, like 82% of the people are betting on Miami. I'm looking at the other side, and I'm saying I think Appalachian State, maybe not the upset, but they could keep this game close. Wisconsin had the game in hand. Look, Wisconsin completely dominated Penn State. They had the ball inside the five-yard line twice, two interceptions. They missed a kick. Uh, Wisconsin didn't deserve to lose that game, but you know what? They also had problems, right? Graham Mertz is an issue. Two interceptions, 185 yards. This is a different animal, though, against Eastern Michigan. I wonder how they're going to come out, though, because you lose opening day. You lose a game that you should have won. You lose at home. It's very emotional, kind kind come back from that, and now what? At Camp Randall Stadium, you're going to win by 27 over Eastern Michigan? you might let your guard down a little bit, and that's a concern here, the headspace for me. Texas, Arkansas. Texas, only a seven-point favorite over Arkansas. Arkansas played a little bit better than I think people expected them to be, um, but Arkansas is supposed to have that down season, and Texas is supposed to have that up season. If you're the number 15 team in the league, you've got to go into Fayetteville here and win this game and win it convincingly. Um Card and Robinson had good games, and Winnington had a good game. You have to continue to do that. Texas, only minus seven seems a little trappy to me, but I think if you are Texas and you're that team, you got to go out there and you got to beat this team in Arkansas. I don't care that's an SEC team. Don't give me that. They have to win this game. Oklahoma, Western Carolina. Spencer Rattler looked good, but Oklahoma, uh-oh. You know, they didn't look too good. Um, their defense was the one thing that I predicted before the season was going to finally look good, and I liked their defense, and I was on top of their defense. Their defense did nothing. You need to really put the hammer down here against Western Carolina defensively. I think Rattler's going to be fine. You know uh, that, that Oklahoma's going to score their points. They're going to score 40, 45, 50 points. They're going to put on an offensive clinic. It's defensively. you got to see them really put it down. And how about Clemson? The same kind of thing. DJ didn't look good, but look, it was against Georgia. I expect offensive numbers out of Clemson. They're taking on South Carolina State. They should absolutely romp here, and they need that kind of game. Get themselves back. Get themselves back at home. Memorial Stadium's going to be rocking. All right, here we go. Forget about what happened in game one. Let's move on and show everybody what we can be. That's what they need to do here. I will say this, though. Kendrell Flowers is an absolute stud at running back for South Carolina State. Keep an eye on him. Penn State, Ball State, I said, look, Penn State didn't deserve to win that game. They had pretty pathetic offense of their own. Their defense was just phenomenal. Really good, really opportune defense. They're laying 23 against Ball State in Beaver Stadium. You know, I'll take Penn State here, but I don't feel comfortable about it. I watched the entire game, and I didn't love what I saw out of Penn State. Look, they came out with a win, so you can't say anything wrong. Came out with a win. They walked away. I get it. But this is one of those uh-oh kind of games. Cincinnati, Murray State. Cincinnati should roll all over Murray State. This shouldn't be a problem. Uh, you look at Ritter, four touchdowns, almost 300 yards. It, Cincinnati is a player this year. I absolutely believe that. Iowa, Iowa State. This is probably the second best game of the day. And I call it the second best game of the day only because people are going to be focused on Ohio State and Oregon, which we'll get to in a minute. But Iowa is an interesting case study because Iowa went out in week one and they 
absolutely spanked an Indiana team that we all thought was going to be a decent team. Now, I don't exactly believe in Iowa State, and I don't exactly believe in Iowa, but I like what I saw in Iowa week one. And what I knew, and we talked about this when I did my preseason special here, what I told you is that Iowa owns Iowa State. They just beat them down game after game after game. They beat this team down. It doesn't matter where the venue is. That's something to pay attention to. If Iowa wants to be a player, they go out there, they beat Iowa State here. This is huge. All of a sudden, Iowa is talking, well, we might have a shot at a national championship. Texas A&M against Colorado, only a 17-point favorite. I think Texas A&M getting a little little under-regarded here because I'm not a believer in Colorado. Georgia went out there, humiliated them. Now they take on a good UAB team, went out there and humiliated the offense of Clemson, but their offense didn't look too good either. Again, it's a Clemson defense, I get it, but UAB's a pretty interesting team. And now the line's sitting there at 26. Notre Dame, Jack Cohn looked fantastic, 366 and four touchdowns. They take on Toledo, that line 17 at Notre Dame Stadium. Toledo, a team that can score, score, score. This might be one of those late backdoor kind of situations. Virginia Tech, 20-point favorites over Middle Tennessee State. Uh, you look at Florida South Florida. South Florida is getting 28 and a half at home. Something to pay attention to. Now it is Raymond James Stadium, so it's a big spot. But Florida, are they really that impressive? Auburn over Alabama State. Bo Nix, 275 and three touchdowns in game one. I expect him to have another big game here. Ohio State, Oregon is the game of the day. And Ohio State, look, they're, they're 1 0. Oregon's 1 0. We get it. Stroud, 294 and four touchdowns. We were all worried about, you know, the guy's never taken a snap at all at the college level, basically. And all of a sudden, he comes out, and he just looks fantastic. Ohio State is the favorite for a reason. But now it's creeping up to that 14-and-a-half number. Is Ohio State 14-and-a-half points better than uh, Oregon? You know, I'm not paying to find out. I think Oregon can keep this game relatively close. I think that Oregon can keep this game within shouting distance, so it's something to pay attention to. Finally, the last game that uh, is on the board that it should be a rollover game, but from a sports betting standpoint, I want to dive into this. Alabama against Mercer. Now, Bryce Young looked fantastic, 344 and four touchdowns. Um, you look at you know Tommy Pollock uh, for Mercer. He looked good running the ball, so Mercer's going to try to run the ball. But many people have tried against Alabama. And I, this is what I want to have a conversation with Alabama and the statistics that I do pull up, because we've seen this for a couple of years now. Alabama... At home against non-conference teams. Okay, first of all, Alabama's allowed 16 points in the last three home games overall, and they outscored their point, opponents 146 to 16. Dynamic. But let's talk about Alabama against non-conference teams at home. Western Carolina 66 to three. Southern Miss 49 to seven. New Mexico State 62 to 10. The Citadel 50 to 17. Arkansas State 57 to seven. Mercer 56 to nothing. And I could continue to keep going. So I did the research and I, I said, you know what? This Alabama team. At home against, you know, bad teams, we'll call them. Out of conference, bad teams. They just seem to absolutely dominate. Well, I checked it out. Since Nick Saban took over, there's been 37 home games against out of conference opponents. This is since 2007. Now, he lost his second game. All the way back in 2007, they went out, they started the season, they beat Western Carolina 52-6, to and then they lost to Louisiana Monroe 21-14. to That's the last time that happened. So they're 36-1. They've won 35 straight in this spot. Well, they should, okay? Alabama should destroy these teams. But how much do they destroy them by? Well, let's, let's have the conversation. 19 times they've covered the 40 points, meaning they've covered four. They won by 40 points, 19 out of the 37 games. 49-plus points they've scored in each of the last six games. Over the course of this 37-game stretch that we're talking about out-of-conference opponents at home under Nick Saban, 30 times the team has scored 10 points or less. 30 out of 37 times they held the opposition to 10 points or less. 26 times a team failed to score more than 7 points. And there's 10 shutouts in that grouping. So... When you're talking about sports betting, right, the Ohio State's of the world against Oregon, ah, oh, that's going to be a good game. Iowa, Iowa State, oh, sure, that's going to be a good game. Don't overlook the Alabama against Mercer and the opportunity that you had. 
there are certain spots in sports betting that I uh, follow just religiously. I follow with my career. And over the course of my career, I've gone back and back and back and back. And I go, okay, you know, this is what I do. Well, Alabama, it usually gets a softer line than they should. And you can see that they go out there and they're, they're trying to just absolutely destroy teams. A team like Mercer, Nick Saban doesn't mind piling it on. And he's got a young quarterback. He's got a brand new young team coming off of a really good offensive performance. He wants to pile it on again, give them the confidence to move forward. It's not like he's got veterans on this team that he could relax with. No, no, no. This is a spot where I expect Alabama to continue their trend that we've seen. Since Nick Saban lost that second game, we're talking about 35 games in a row where there has been pure and utter dominance dominance and it's usually from the defensive side by the way so offense if you get a little offense well that's going to be great well they've gotten offense the last six times 49 plus points but the defensive side that's what you could count on all right guys so that's week one of the nfl week two in college football hope everybody enjoyed i'm tom bard for wagering week we'll be back and you can bet on that This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.